often speak much at this time of the year of the, of the glorious reality that God, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we should rightly emphasize that. The uniqueness of our Lord Jesus Christ really in one sense is bound up in that great fact that He is the eternal Son of God coming to the world to save sinners. His divine nature on the pages of Scripture is over and over again emphasized. But there are also those places in the Word of God where we see His true humanity set before us in a wonderful way, a compelling way, I would say. We see His humanity set before us in such a way that we say, was ever there a man like this? This one, the Lord Jesus Christ, who in all of His holiness, yet in all of His tenderness, extended Himself to, sinner, extended himself to sinners. Oh, you see, this draws us by way of an attraction to Him, does it not? And so we see not only a babe that draws us by way of emotion, we see a Christ, a conquering Christ, a compassionate Christ who extends himself to sinners. And that's what I want you to see in this passage of Scripture today. I want you to uh, allow, I want, I want to ask you, if I can uh, say it this way, allow yourself to see your, yourself in the place of the leper this morning. We'll see as we, as we look at this passage of Scripture that this awful reality, this awful disease of leprosy, was not only a true condition by way of individuals were just, in one sense, destroyed by that disease, but that this disease in Scripture is oftentimes set before us as a very picture of sin. Everything that leprosy did to the body, sin does to the soul. And when this, and when this leper comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and says, If thou wilt, thou can make me clean, there's a sense in which there's something of the sinner appealing to Christ is seen for us. You see, if thou wilt, Lord Jesus Christ, you can save me from my sin. And so again, what a better message for Christmas than this message, Jesus Christ, the compassionate Christ, come to save sinners. Well, as we approach this passage of Scripture, and as I set this passage of Scripture before you, obviously our primary theme this morning will be on the compassion of Christ. Uh, you'll probably, I hope you won't get tired of hearing me say that, but I'll be repeating it often. The compassion of Christ, the compassion of Christ, over and over again, Christ's compassion for sinners. I hope and I pray that you'll not be, uh, and it, it, that, that will not be tedious to you. Um, also, what I want to do though is I, I, I want to work through this passage of Scripture by way it's, as it stands in the context here of this first chapter of the Gospel of Mark. You see, Mark is still doing something very specific. And in my review of what we've done in the past, I want to set before you, again, that very specific thing that Mark is doing. You remember Mark is setting before us the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You look in that first verse of chapter 1, and you remember what Mark says there in chapter 1, of verse 1? He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What a passage of scripture. What a way to open this account of the gospel. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And everything that Mark does in this first chapter is setting forth for us Jesus Christ and all of his exalted authority. He comes on the scene, you remember, with a great forerunner that was prophesied in the Old Testament. There is John the Baptist saying, the one who comes after me, who's, who, there's one who's coming after me, whose sandals I am not worthy to unloose. He's speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. John says, I have baptized you with the symbol of water, but he will baptize you in the essence or with the substance of the Spirit. Oh, what a distinction between the work of John and the work of Christ. There is the Lord Jesus Christ then purposely going to John to be baptized. And in that baptism, what do we see? We see, we hear the voice of authority. This is my beloved Son. We see the Spirit descending by way of a true anointing. And you remember when we pre preached from that passage of Scripture, we said that this was the truest anointing that there ever was in the Bible. Jesus Christ anointed with the Spirit of God. And then we saw the Spirit of God sending Jesus Christ out into the wilderness to be tempted, to engage Satan on our behalf, to, to overcome all of his satanic temptations. To do battle with Satan in the wilderness there. And there is the Lord Jesus Christ with the anointing of the Spirit upon him. There he is again doing battle for you and me. Overcoming the kingdom of darkness and bringing into this world the kingdom of God. This is really what John is doing in this first chapter. He's setting forth Jesus Christ with authority. And we saw the authority. He comes back and what does he do? He casts out demons. He heals the sick. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ showing himself having great authority, the authority of heaven on earth. And again, there you saw 
Even before uh, he, ex- he exerted the authority uh, over the demons, he exerted, he, he exerted authority over the souls of men. Do you remember when he called his first disciples to himself? He says, come, he says, and I will make you to be fishers of men. Oh, the authority, the compelling authority of Christ over the life. Well, I ask you the question. Have you experienced this compelling authority of Christ over your life? When the call of the gospel has gone forth and Jesus Christ said to you and to me, come, and I will make you to be fishers of men. Come, and you will be useful in my kingdom. Come, and the very compassion I intend to show to others, I'll show to the world through you. Come, he says, and I'll make you fishers of men. Oh, the compelling authority of Christ. And there those disciples were, leaving their nets and going and following Christ. And then we saw Christ with a commanding authority, didn't we? There he was in the synagogue on that Sabbath day morning. Remember what I said then? Jesus Christ in the place of worship on the day of worship. I didn't, I didn't work that too hard, but stop and think of what that means. The Lord Jesus Christ, knowing the day of worship, was in the place of worship. I'll let you make the application there. But again, the Lord Jesus Christ in the Sabbath on the day of worship, what does he do? He, with commanding authority, cast out demons. This man, this pitiable man, you remember we said, who was afflicted with this demon, the Lord Jesus Christ cast him out by a word. And so not only did we see compelling authority, we saw commanding authority. And then we saw our Lord Jesus Christ again, healing all manner of sickness and disease, casting out demons, all the authority of Christ. But as we come to the close of this first chapter, I think this is very significant. And this will form the structure of our doctrine that we're going to develop here today. As we come to the close of this first chapter, what we see about our Lord Jesus Christ is this. Our Lord Jesus Christ, in a sense, will not allow himself to be introduced apart from a clear, direct statement and example, not only of compelling authority, not only of commanding authority, but now of compassionate authority. This is the very, this is the very focus, this is the very thrust of these last verses here in this opening gospel of Mark. It is the compassionate authority of Christ. It is an, it is, it is an authority, yes, he speaks the word and the man is healed. He gives this man a very stern warning, we'll develop all these things. But all the compassion of Christ, this is what, this is what comes forth uh, most clearly. Our Lord Jesus Christ moved with compassion. And so, as I said before, what I hope to do by way, of a, by way of the development of a doctrine here today is to set forth this proposition before you. Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, will not have himself introduced apart from his great compassion for miserable sinners. You see, I may not know what it is, again, to be, to be afflicted or be, to be possessed by a demon. I may not know what it is uh, uh, to have some of these other things that we see, but I know what it is to be in a miserable situation. I know what it is to be afflicted with sin. And when the Lord Jesus Christ comes in compassion, oh, how the soul is drawn out to him. And so I set before you on this Lord's Day morning, uh, be very close to Christmas here, I set before you the very incarnation of the compassion of God, Jesus Christ. And so again, the compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I ask you the question as we just begin to consider compassion in general. What would this world be without human compassion? What would this world be without compassion? And how could this world ever know compassion if God did not first display compassion? The idea of God as compassionate is just full throughout the scriptures. This is why we read this morning from, uh, from uh, Psalm 145. And this is even why we read this morning. And as, as, we were, as it was being read, I thought, oh, I should have had a Christmas text this morning. But even as we were reading this morning, we saw there in Matthew 15, the Lord Jesus Christ being compassionate. He looked on the multitudes and he had compassion. And so the idea of, of compassion in the very nature of God is so vital to our understanding of God as he's revealed in the scriptures Listen to some of these passages of Scripture that are, just, that are just famous for the compassion of God. Psalm 78, verse 38 says this, But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity. <laughs> are you burdened by sin this morning? Are you weighed down by failures? Do you see your own moral spots as, le- as spiritual leprosy? Maybe nobody else sees them. And maybe in a sense it's no one else's business, but you know what it is. Did you hear this passage of scripture? But he being full of compassion forgave their iniquity. And again, in the incarnation, what does God do? He comes in compassion in the person of Jesus Christ. 
Psalm 86, verse 15, But thou, O Lord, are God full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. You know what's interesting about that passage of Scripture? That passage of Scripture, in one sense, is an echo of the great passage of Scripture in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, when God comes and declares His name before Moses. And He says, He is a God of full of mercy and compassion, gracious and long-suffering. You see, this becomes something of a theme throughout all the Word of God. God wants this thing to be known above Him, that He is a compassionate God. Psalm, 1, Psalm 111, verse 4, uh, 111, verse 4 um, he hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Psalm 112, unto the upright uh, there arises light and darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion. Again, there's something of a Christmas emphasis there. Uh, the light is shine in a, in a dark place. Unto the upright arises light and darkness. And again, I think the most memorable of all the uh, of all these uh, passages of Scripture that we find in the Old Testament by way of God's compassion is Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. Most of you know this passage of Scripture. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. Oh, the compassion of our great God, the compassion that He is now given to us incarnate in Jesus Christ. Oh, the compassion of God towards sinners. Well, what I want to do this morning then is I want to develop this uh, doctrinal theme, this doctrinal point uh, within the text itself. And, and I think we'll see the theme of compassion coming out over and over again. But the, uh, the, the, the manner in which I want to handle the text is, is the, in the three following points. Uh, number one, I want, I, want to, I want us to observe, uh, to see the compassion of Christ, I want us to observe how that this leper comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the leper makes an approach to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think there's something to be said there. I think there's something by way of whatever else may have been weighing down on this poor leper. He must have seen something or heard something in the person of Jesus Christ and of the nature of Christ and of, and, and, and of the willingness of Christ to be compassionate. He comes to Christ. We'll take a look at that. Secondly, we're going to look at uh, the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ uh, shows this true compassion toward this leper. Uh, he's, he's, he's in no way repulsed by this man. I hate to say it, but, uh, but, but leprosy could be a very kind of revolting thing to, to look on. Uh, this man would have been uh, not dressed like we are uh, here on this Sunday morning. Uh, this man would have been very much, uh, again, uh, having everything visually by way of what may have been reprehensible. But none of this puts off our Lord Jesus Christ. He, he allows this man to come. And, and in compassion, he extends himself to him. We'll take a look at the compassion of Christ. So the leper comes to Christ. And Christ has compassion on the, on, on the leper. But the third thing we're going to see, and it's kind of interesting... It'll keep us planted firmly, if I can say it this way, within the context of, of Mark chapter 1. We're going to see the command of our Lord Jesus Christ to this leper. It almost is like out of, well, it's not out of place to the text, but it may sound out of place in the development of a sermon on compassion. Because what we're going to find is a very surprising emotion in our Lord Jesus Christ that as it stands next to his emotion of compassion almost surprises us. And what we're going to find in this passage of Scripture is that the Lord Jesus Christ says to this leper whom he has just now healed, he sternly charges him not to do anything other than to go to the priest. And what we're going to see is that there is great emotion in our Lord Jesus Christ in this command. There's great emotion with the compassion. We're going to take a, a very brief look at the emotions of our Lord Jesus Christ, true humanity in our dear Savior. And we're going to see the, the whole array of sinless emotions in Christ. But in this passage of Scripture, some of your, some of your uh, translations will say he sternly charged him. Some others will say he, uh, he warned him very uh, severely. We'll take a look at what all that means. So again, the coming of the leper uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ, the compassion of Christ, the command of Christ uh, to this man. Well, let's take a look then first at the coming of the leper uh, to our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and what I think is that this leper, again, let's stay within the context of, uh, of Mark chapter 1. This leper must have heard of the fame of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we made that point in the past, did we not? That his fame went out abroad as he was preaching and as he was bringing in the kingdom of God. Remember we saw that in verses 28 and verses 33? 
Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 28, and immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. We saw the same thing in verse 33, and all the city was gathered together at the door. All the city, they heard of his fame in verse 39, and he preached the gospel uh, in their synagogues throughout all of Galilee and cast out devils. Well, this leper must have heard of this one, this great compassionate miracle worker. He must have thought within himself, although leprosy was truly an incurable disease at that time, he must have thought, if this man can cast out a demon, certainly he can do something for my leprosy. He may have thought, well, you know, I understand that Peter's mother-in-law was healed of a fever. And, you know, that sounds, that's pretty encouraging. But what's a fever next to leprosy? Oh, but when he heard that Jesus Christ cast out demons and cast out many of them, he must have thought if he can cast out demons, he can deal with this leprosy. And so what I want you to see is that when this leper comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, he comes to the Lord Jesus Christ in one sense based on his fame, the fame of our Lord, that knowledge of our Lord that was current in that day. Let me ask you a question. Have any come to Jesus Christ based on the fame that you have given to Christ, based on the testimony that you have given about Christ? Are there sinners, friends of yours, or maybe even enemies who have so heard about Jesus Christ from your lips, they've heard about this one who will receive sinners? Oh, the fame of Jesus Christ needs to be spread abroad. And so this sinner comes, this leper comes, I should say, this leper comes based on the fame of our Lord Jesus Christ. He must have heard, as I said before, well, you see, this, this leper then comes in faith. And we see a number of examples of or a number of indicators that, are, that this leper does come with something of faith, excuse me, something of faith as he comes to the, uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. We see this again in the way that he approaches the Savior. Look at here in verse 40. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. You see, the approach is a very humbled approach. This man, again, is probably under the realization that in one sense, he shouldn't even be in public in this kind of a way. In another sense, to make this close approach, oh, will he be accepted or not? As somebody said before, we're going we're to see how Christ's compassion is very much in a very real way bound up with the fact that he even receives this man. But he does. And so the leper is aware of these things. He comes you know, it's interesting when we compare uh, this, uh, this account in Mark with, with what we see in Matthew and what we see in Luke. We get a fuller picture of the way in which the leper approaches Jesus Christ. Matthew says this, And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean. Luke says it this way, And it came to pass when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, that becomes significant, full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And I think what we're seeing here is once again this recognition on the part of this lowly leper, this recognition on the part of this leper burdened with his disease, something of an, aware, of an awareness of who Jesus Christ is. He is one who is worthy to be worshipped. He is one who can be approached. Oh, what a wonderful picture of Jesus Christ this leper has. And so, as I said before, we see this leper approaching in faith. Now, there's something phenomenal. I know I use that word a lot, but it is phenomenal. There's something phenomenal in the faith of this leper. And it's this. It's this man's faith that overcomes the obstacle of his leprosy. And I think that we have to understand that there is a true working of the Spirit of God within the soul of this man, bringing him to Jesus Christ. I think that what this leper is, 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 is experiencing isn't just so much the best of his human uh, energies. I think what's happening, even though he's not aware of it, is that the Spirit of God is working deeply in his heart, moving him, leading him, driving him to Jesus Christ as it were. But what we're seeing is that once again, that faith overcomes ob obstacles. And we see this in a number of places in the Word of God. I think of, the, I think of Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 20. Just turn over a few pages and look at another example of faith overcoming obstacles. Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 29. You'll know, the, you'll know the, 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 uh, uh, the episode here when we start reading it. Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 29. And a certain woman, woman which had an issue of blood 12 years, 
and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all she had, and was not and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse when she had heard of Jesus. There's the fame of Jesus again. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind him and touched the hem of his garment, and touched his garment, for she said, If I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. You see how faith overcomes obstacles. There was the woman weighed down with this issue. There was this woman, again, for years and years and years, done nothing better. But she heard of Jesus. She saw Jesus. And she says, oh, if I may just touch his garment, I will be made whole. You see how faith overcomes obstacles. Mark has a way of setting this, 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 this dynamic of faith before us. Look there in Mark chapter 9. Another passage of scripture you'll be familiar with. Mark chapter 9, verses 22 through 24. Faith overcoming, faith overcoming these obstacles. And it's about this, the, the father, again, who sees his son, again, uh, again uh, with this, with this uh, uh, oppressed by demons, possessed by a demon. And what do we see here in Mark 22 through uh, 24? And he, he, the, the man, the father is explaining to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says this, And oftentimes it has cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, here it is, have compassion on us. What is it about Christ that when people in need see him, they come with a request of compassion? You may know people that you would never think in a, in a, in a thousand years that you would ever get compassion from them. So stern and so hard. So difficult to deal with. Our Lord Jesus Christ wasn't like that. Can I say it this way? He must have elicited the desire or the request for compassion. It was in his very nature. And so this father comes and what does he say? He says, oh, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And again, the man goes on to say those famous words, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Aren't you glad that Christ is so compassionate that he helps even your unbelief, even your inability to fully embrace Jesus Christ, even in your inability to to receive Jesus Christ in all of his fullness, you can say to him, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. What compassion we see in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when when this leper came to the Lord Jesus Christ, he came in faith. And it was a faith, again, that was drawn out by way of the very work of the Spirit of God, number one, but also by way of the very nature of Jesus Christ. And do you see Jesus Christ that way this morning? Do you see him as one who is willing to receive lepers and sinners and and demon-possessed and people afflicted with this and afflicted with that? You see, this is the Christ that's set before you. This is the Christ of the Gospels. This is the Christ that saves sinners. Oh, this compassionate Christ. And so we see, again, the leper making his approach to the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the leper coming to Christ, we might say. But the next thing that we see is the, is the compassion of Christ uh, for this leper. And this is in the way that, the, that our Lord Jesus Christ responds uh, to this man. And as I said before, he doesn't recoil at his sight. This man may have been a very revolting sight. And if you've seen pictures of leprosy, we still have leprosy in our day. If you've seen pictures of leprosy, it's something of an unsightly disease. You, you actually see people whose, whose fingers just are so af- affected by the disease that they lose their fingers. They, they lose toes and they lose limbs and hands and, and they're unsightly. It's, and here was this man, full, not just having leprosy, but full of leprosy. In our day, we would say he was loaded with it. And here comes this man. I can't imagine he was a very, as I said before, a very sightly man to see. No reference here to how the man must have smelled, but rotting flesh. And so when this man comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and he gets close enough to bow down and close enough to to engage in in this act of worship, kneeling down before him, Getting close enough. He says to him, Lord, if thou wilt, thou thou, thou, thou canst make me clean. And here's the Lord Jesus Christ, not revolted. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ, not offended religiously. Hey, hey, hey. You know you're not supposed to be here. What's going on here? None of that. Our Lord responds with compassion. 
There's no sinner so vile that Jesus Christ will not respond to in compassion. Is there a better message for Christmas than this? The very incarnation of the compassion of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And so here is, the, here is our Lord responding with compassion. Now, one writer says this about, uh, about leprosy. He says, leprosy was no mere skin infection. He says, uh, it was a ra- it's a radical disease of the whole person. It attacks not merely the skin, but the blood, the flesh, the bones, until the unhappy victim begins to lose his extremities and rot by inches. You see, there's much that we can say about this thing of, of leprosy. It was, again, much was written in the Old Testament by way of, uh, uh, by way of uh, 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 having people uh, quarantined uh, so, that, so that the disease would not spread. Uh, there was much by way of, uh, of its unsightliness. There was uh, much by way of uh, what the scriptures commanded as to how the person was to be examined as to whether or not uh, uh, the disease would be healed. And one of the things that we see is that this, 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 this disease of leprosy, while it is not sin, I have to say that again, this disease of leprosy is not sin, but this disease of leprosy was used as a very graphic illustration of sin. Because like sin, leprosy was oftentimes deeper than just the surface. And isn't that one of the most disturbing things about sin? It's deeper than the surface. We come to church and we, we look just fine, don't we? I don't mean on the outward appearance. I mean, we, we appear to be respectable and morally upright and everything else. But when you know yourself, and thank God others don't know us. But when we know ourselves, what do we say? Lord God, my soul is, is, is full of leprosy. Oh, have compassion on me. He will. And so you see this thing of leprosy was, was used as, 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 a, as a picture of sin for a number of reasons. Again, as I said, it was, it was deeper than the skin. Also, it, it had a spreading effect uh, like sin. Sin is never content to remain isolated. You know, I, I've said this about sin in other contexts, that, that sin is a principle of moral evil that is never content to remain within a restricted uh, area of life. This is one of the this is one of the ways that sin mocks and deceives us. Uh, we think that we can keep sin within a little uh, within a little area or keep it under wraps. Well, that's not the way it works. Sin spreads. It seeks. To, it's a principle. It seeks to dominate. And so again, this thing of leprosy is a is a picture of it. But the other thing that we see by way of leprosy is a is a picture of sin. Is it in one sense only God was able to heal it? Only God can truly deliver a man from it. And it's the same with the, with the moral condition of sin. You know, in our day in which we live, sin isn't so much of a, of a usable category in society. You know, there are all other kind of categories that will be used. You know, maybe a disease or, or maybe an addiction or, or maybe, uh, maybe a character flaw. These things, are just sin, these, these things are just euphemisms for sin. And when Jesus Christ works in the soul compassionately, he delivers a soul from sin. And all of its and, and all of it and all of its euphemistic expressions. Oh, how we thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ and his compassion. So he doesn't recoil at the sight of the leper. His compassion is seen, as I said before, in allowing the leper to be close enough to ask. But his compassion is seen primarily in what we see in that passage of scripture in verse 41. He was moved, he was moved with compassion. Mark chapter 1, verse 41. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand. What a wonderful picture, isn't it? To see a man moved with compassion. That there was this thing by way of the emotion of compassion that so directed all the energies of our Lord Jesus Christ that that leper would not be left in the condition that he came to him. This is one of the things that we see about God, isn't it? God is not content to leave us in the condition in which he finds us. Let the sinner come and all the work that Jesus Christ does. And so there is our Lord Jesus Christ again, moved with compassion. Well, you see, compassion is one of the, it may indeed be the chief emotional trait that we see in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what, what we see on the pages of Scripture over and over again is that Jesus Christ was not like this, 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 uh, this uh, uh, you know, half God, half man that kind of walked on the earth with his feet, you know, two inches above the ground and just floated everywhere. That wasn't Jesus. He was a true man. 
And all, all the, everything that is true of humanity was true of him. And so here is the Lord Jesus Christ with true, sinless emotion. Then we see a number of emotions. And primarily we see the emotion of compassion in our dear Savior. Look at these, at these passages where we see this. Uh, in Matthew chapter uh, 20, verse 34, we see Jesus having compassion on those with physical infirmities. Have you, ever, have you ever experienced that? I'm sure you have. I'm, I'm sure I'm speaking to people here today that, whose hearts are touched and who know how to experience and how to convey compassion. Well, Jesus saw individuals with physical infirmity. And in Matthew chapter 20, verse 34, we read this. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. There were, there were these blind men. There were these ones with this physical infirmity of blindness and Jesus had compassion on them. We see Jesus also having compassion on those who, who had other such physical needs. In Mark chapter 6, we see this. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion. In, verse, uh, in Mark chapter 8, verse 2, I have compassion on the multitude because now they have been with me these three days and have nothing to eat. There was a woman one time grieving over the loss of her son. We might say it this way. Jesus instructs us how to attend our funerals. And in Luke chapter 7 verse 13 we read this. And when the Lord saw her, this weeping mother, grieving over a lost son. In Luke seven thirteen, we read this. And when our Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And said, weep not. How do we attend our funerals, the funerals of our friends? We attend those funerals with the compassion of Jesus Christ. In that moment when there's grief, and in that moment when there's loss, in that moment when there's suffering, come with the compassion of Christ. We see other emotions in our Lord as well. We see the emotion of love. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. It's interesting how many times Mark emphasizes the emotional elements in our, Lord's, in, our, in our Lord's personality. True humanity is seen in this gospel. And we see again the full range of sinless emotion in the life of our Lord. Mark chapter 10 verse 21. Then Jesus beholding him loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have riches in heaven, treasures in heaven, Come take up thy cross and follow me. And you remember how, the, how the, this rich young ruler went away? And our Lord, the scripture says our Lord looked upon him and loved him. Here was, a, here was a man who was walking away from the very invitation of Christ. And Christ didn't respond with, uh, with anger toward him or with indignancy toward him. He loved this man even as he walked away. What a picture of love. We see grief and agony in our Lord Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 14, verses 32 and 34. This passage of scripture, again, just amazes me every time I, I read it. And here he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we read this, and he, take with him, he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore, amazed, and very heavy. This expression, again, it almost plums the depth of being able to verbalize what it means. Our Lord was in the throes of this grief and in this agony in the garden. And we read on, and he saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Here is our Lord again in the full range of sinless emotions. And this brings us to the next emotion that we see in our Lord. And this is very important for you. Because we often, uncritically, just apply this emotion to sin. And it's not always sin. You know, our Lord Jesus Christ experienced the true sinless emotion of anger, righteous indignation, righteous anger. And there are times when anger is not only necessary, but it's right. Anger isn't always sinful. It most oftentimes is, but it's not always. Too oftentimes our anger is tied together with our sinful nature. But if we can so, again, prioritize the glory of God and the good of our fellow man, and whenever there is that which is spoken against the glory of God or to the hurt of our fellow man, we should, we should rise up against that. And here we see again anger in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they came in Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 17. And they came to Jerusalem. And Jesus went into the temple. 
and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple. And he overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel throughout the temple. And he taught them, saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house, uh, my house shall be called uh, of all nations a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. You see our Lord's anger with those, again, who were, who were corrupting uh, the worship of God and the ways of God. And then, of course, the great emotion of compassion. But our Lord's compassion is also seen in another way. And I hope you don't mind me making this point as thoroughly as I can. We saw, the, we saw the compassion of Christ in allowing the, 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 the leper to approach. We saw the compassion of Christ in the sense that he was moved with compassion. But we see the compassion of Christ in another way in this passage of Scripture. And that's in the fact that he touched this man. He touched this man. You see, he went beyond all the restrictions that society, that religious uh, kind of society placed upon him. He went beyond all of that. And he touched this leper. Oh, the touch of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad that he reached out to this man and he touched him? Everything by way of, everything by way of the revolting sight of the man. Everything by way of what the smell may have been. Everything by way of what others around them expected him to do. Jesus Christ touched this man. And I'm saying to you, this reminds us of the glory of the incarnation. It is God touching this sinner. This is the wonder of Christmas. Jesus Christ again manifests for us in the flesh all the glories and all the splendor of God's great compassion towards sinners. He touched this man. We sing that song sometimes, don't we? That little chorus, he touched me. Oh, he touched me. And all the joy that floods my soul. Something happened and now I know. He touched me. And now I'm whole. Oh, the touch of Jesus Christ. This touch of Jesus Christ is very precious to the people of God, is it not? I'm saying to you, Jesus Christ, while we may not physically feel him touch us, Jesus Christ is still touched by us. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. When he took on humanity, one of the, one of the benefits of that to us is that Jesus Christ now knows our suffering firsthand. He knew what, this, he knew what it was for this man, not so much to be a leper, but he knew what it was for this man to be ostracized. And in a very strange way, what's going to happen is this. Jesus Christ himself will find himself ostracized. Have you ever been ostracized for the witness of Jesus Christ? Oh, you see, you have a high priest who's touched with the feelings of your infirmities. Have you ever been weighed down uh, by your sins? By your, have you ever thought your temptations were too much for you? You see, Jesus Christ, again, he understands these things. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And so here we have, again, the compassion of Christ, uh, not, only in his, not only in the fact that he was moved with compassion, not only in the fact of his tender touch, but there's also another thing about our Lord's compassion, and that's his words. I will. <laughs> Lord Jesus, if you're willing, you can forgive me of my sin. I will. Be thou forgiven. What a gospel. What a wonderful Savior. And so we have here the I will of compassion. You know, you can, you can do a study on the I wills of Christ. A number of times Christ says, I will. Here is the, the I will of compassion. And our Lord Jesus Christ comes to this one. Or this, this leper comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ responds in this compassionate way. I will be thou cleansed. Understand, we're back to the concept of authority. He commands the demons to depart. He heals the sick. And now with authority, in a word, he says, I will be thou cleansed. And immediately, that word that Mark uses over and over again, immediately the man is healed. Oh, the compassion of Christ. So we've seen, this, we've seen the leper coming to Christ and faith, faith that overcomes the obstacles. It reminds us that there should be no obstacle to keep us from Christ. We see the Lord Jesus Christ receiving this uh, leper in a compassionate way. But now we come to the third point. I'll move somewhat quickly here because we're running a little late. I'll move somewhat quickly here. We see the third point. And what the third point is this. It's, it's not now the, the compassion of Christ, but now it's the command of Christ. Now look at the passage of Scripture again. It's very interesting what we see here. Verse 43. <laughs> 
and straightly charged them, and forthwith sent them away. And he saith unto him, See, say, see thou sayest nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priests, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony. And what's happening here is this. We don't hear the, uh, the, 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 uh, the King James um, may not bring, bringing, uh, be bringing it out with as much emphasis that there truly is in the text. The King James says he straightly charged him. Uh, the ESV says he sternly charged him. Uh, that's getting closer. The NIV says he sent them away at once with a strong warning. Again, that's getting close. Uh, many of you remember um, we used to use their quotations from the Amplified Version um, you know, often, but the Amplified has it like this, and Jesus charged him sternly, sharply, and threatening with earnest admonition, and acting with deep feeling, thrust him forth and sent him away at once. What a picture we have here. It almost jars us because we, we, we've just encountered Christ as this, this one who, who is full of compassion, this one who is not revolted by the sight or the smell or the condition of this leper, this one who says, I will be thou clean. And then in the next sentence, we see him sternly charging this man what to do. And what it reminds us of is this, that there are priorities in the kingdom of God and in the will of Jesus Christ that sometimes we don't fully understand, but we do well to obey them. Let me give you some more information on the word that's used here, this word where he straightly charged them. It's kind of interesting because in classical Greek, well, again, the, the word means to, and again, it, 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 it jams us up almost a little bit. The word it can also be translated to scold, to be angry, to charge sternly. Now, in classical Greek, the word literally meant to snort. Now, you might not think that you snort in anger, but the pictures of a horse, but if you've ever been really mad, you, you may have actually snorted because you were pretty upset with what was going on and that's the picture that's being used here that's the word again that's how it was used in, in classical greek in the new testament we find it used in a number of contexts by our lord in matthew 9 30 again jesus warned the men who he had healed of his blindness not to spread the news of his healing and he did it with the same sternness we see it again in, in uh, Mark chapter uh, 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 14 and in John chapter 11, this, this idea. And in John chapter 11, it's very interesting because we have Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. And that word to snort is there again. And the idea that's most commonly understood is that here is our Lord with an expression of anger at the effects of sin. And I think there's something appropriate to that. I think our Lord Jesus Christ, if I can say it this way, hates sin. I don't think we have to qualify it in any sense. He does hate sin. He hates its effects and everything else. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is warning this man and, 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 and saying to this man in a, in, a, in, a, in a very strong way not to make known his healing. Now, we're not going to develop this now. We will in months probably to come. What we're going to see in the Gospel of Mark, as we see in all the Gospels, is that there is by way of design of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, a withholding of the full manifestation of his messianic glory until the time that he has, he and the Father had ordained. Until that time, what our Lord Jesus Christ was always on the guard against was for people to just be carried away by his appearance not a physical appearance, but by way of, of what he was doing in his preaching and his miracles, and he would not allow them to impose their idea of what the Messiah should be. But first, he would fill in the idea of the true understanding of Messiah, and then we have in John chapter 12, verse 23, I think it is, Jesus says when the, when, when the Greeks come to him seeking Jesus, sir, we would see Jesus, now is the Son of Man glorified, now is the time and only at the right time would Jesus Christ fully reveal himself as the Messiah. Until then, he would not allow others to impose upon him or his ministry what Messiah should be. He would fill out what Messiah would be. He must not only be the Messiah who comes in glory, he must first be the Messiah who suffers. And that's why he would have nothing to do when they came and were, were, were by force going to make him king. It wasn't an earthly idea of the Messiah that he was here to fulfill. 
And this reminds us that in all of our understanding of Jesus Christ, we must make sure that our understandings of of who Jesus Christ is must be filled in biblically. We cannot impose upon Jesus Christ a view or a vision of who we think he should be. You see, we would never think that Jesus Christ would speak this sternly to a man that he had just shown this compassion on. There are so many things that we would never think of Jesus Christ if we were limited to our own view about who Jesus should be. But the scriptures again informing us, Christ filling out the picture. And that's why you'll see over and over again in the scripture, do not say, do not say I'm the Messiah, do not do this, do not not reveal this, do not reveal that. Our Lord again is waiting for his own time before he will set forth before the watching world. Now this is Messiah. Come and see him die for the sins of the world. Not that the world, not, not, not so that the world makes him king, but come and see him die. And so again, this, this, this word is interesting. Well, the, the reason is interesting as well. Why our Lord says, notice what, he, what we see here uh, in verse 44. And he saith unto him, see that thou say nothing to any man, but, uh, but go by thy way and show thyself to the priest and offer for the cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony. Why this? Why don't say any, anything to anybody? Why, why run to the priest? Well, it's interesting because there are at least two reasons. Number one is so that the man could be fully restored to, 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 to social interaction. Our Lord cared for this man's place in society. He says, you go and show the priest. And your priest is going to, and the priest is going to examine you according to Leviticus 13 and 14. And he's going to see that all the effects of your full leprosy are all gone now. And you can offer the sacrifice. It's very interesting. There's no mention of the sacrifice here. But obviously the man would have offered the sacrifice. And I think one of the reasons why we see that is because Christ so, for, Christ so fulfills all these sacrifices. The mention now would be almost anticlimactic, anticlimactic. But there would have been the offering of, of certain sacrifices. And so the man would have been restored to, again, the, the social order. He would have been able to have, again, a social interaction with his friends and family. But there's another reason why Jesus said to this man, go and show yourself. And it's essentially this. Because this would show in the very presence of the priest and of the rulers of that day that the marks of Messiah were now here and that the kingdom of God is breaking in and that the kingdom of darkness is now being dispelled. You see, Jesus Christ again was was validating his works and was showing again by way of the work that only Messiah could do. There was a saying of the rabbis at that time that you may as well try to raise a man from the dead as much as you might try to cleanse him from or heal him from his uh, leprosy. It was something that was impossible. But there is Messiah. And what is he doing? Coming and, and, and responding with compassion to this miserable, uh, this miserable leper. Oh, what a wonder it is. Now it's interesting, you know, I think in a sense we kind of identify with this leper. I hate to say it, but I think we identify with him. Verse 45, but he went out and began to publish it much and blaze abroad the matter. And on the one hand, we want to say, what's wrong with you? Then on the other hand, we want to say, how could you be quiet? And I'm not trying to excuse this man's disobedience. We can't. What he did was wrong. He violated the direct command of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as much as we might identify with him, we cannot commend him for that. And the reason why we cannot commend him, again, is at least twofold. Number one, most importantly, he violated the direct command of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we content with hearing a word or command of Christ and saying, Lord Jesus, if it's your command, whether I understand or not, whether it makes sense to me or not, it's your command, I'm going to be obedient to you. That's one approach. We ought to have that. But there's another approach that we see here that's very, very interesting. Look what we see here in the passage of Scripture again. Verse 45, halfway through, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter the city, but was without in the desert places, and they came to him every, from every quarter. You see, at this point in Jesus' ministry, his purpose, go back earlier in the chapter, was to proclaim the kingdom of God. At this point in Jesus' ministry, preaching was the priority. At this point in Jesus' ministry, it wasn't the miracles that he was doing. It was the message he was proclaiming. That's why, again, in verses 15 and 16, the time is fulfilled. 
The kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe the gospel. And you remember what Jesus says, I think it was in verse 38, I must go and preach for this is what I've been sent for. And so what this man inadvertently did is he created a situation where the Lord Jesus Christ was now not able to preach in the cities, had to go into the wilderness. People still came out, but it was that whole thing. Again, the Lord Jesus Christ charged him for a reason. The man couldn't understand it at the time. And there are commands that you and I have from the Lord Jesus Christ that we don't necessarily understand at the time. But the Lord Jesus Christ has his reasons. And so what we see here then is this, our Lord, again, by by way of his great compassion, dealing with, and aren't you glad, it's, it's consistent with the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not like he took this man's healing away. No, he's, he's, he's the compassionate Savior. But you see, the standard of our obedience isn't the measure of our understanding. I know that's hard sometimes to embrace and to hold on to. Because from our perspective, we think that we have such a clear view of things. But we know that we don't. And can I ask you as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ that what Jesus commands is is what I'm going to be obedient to. I'm sure this man had no thought that, oh, you mean because I went and told everybody in the city, now you can't preach the gospel in that city? Ah, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. You know what that's like, right? Oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Oh, why didn't I just obey? Well, I present before you this Savior, the very incarnation of the compassion of God come to save sinners. What do we do with a message like this? Well, number one, I want you to understand that what we do with a message like this is we, we, we use it, number one, to the benefit of our souls. No matter how great your misery, no matter how miserable your condition, I don't see any here plagued with leprosy, but I'll leave it to each and every one of you to evaluate your own hearts before Christ. Don't let anything in your heart keep you from coming to Christ. You see, he's compassionate. You might find your heart revolting, but Jesus Christ says, I will come. So come to Jesus Christ. The second thing I would say to you is this. Understand that he's always ready to receive sinners. And no matter how revolting you may think certain people are, you can still go to them with this message that Christ is willing and ready to receive all who come to him. But the last thing I want you to, say, I want you to see by way of this passage of scripture, look, we're at a time of year when people are thinking about this thing that they call Christmas. We call Christmas. What a better way to exhibit Christmas than to show the compassion of God incarnate to those who are in need. My brothers and sisters, I present to you the compassionate Christ, full of authority, full of love, full of tender appeal to all those who will come to him. Let's pray.